I don't know how many of you realized it, but last week we completed our study in 1 John. We started in September. And we finished it. Somebody should be saying praise hallelujah or something like that, right? That's the good news. You know what the bad news is? Now we go to 2 John. (laughs) John's second letter to the church. John's second letter to the church is different in a number of ways from his first letter that he wrote to the church. And, and this is the Apostle John. I just, I'm going to remind you of a few things. The Apostle John is the last of the apostles. All the rest of the apostles, the, the, uh, the other 12 or 11 that were following Jesus in his ministry for three years on planet Earth, they have all gone to, uh, to meet Jesus through martyrdom. They've all either died on a cross like Peter upside down, or like Stephen, they've been stoned to death. But all the people, John's the last one. He's the last kind of of the Mohicans, if I can put it that way, because he's the one of the last few that actually saw Jesus, touched Jesus, walked with Jesus, was fed by Jesus, interacted with Jesus. So he's old. He's an old guy. And, and, and now he's in, in his latter years, He is writing letters to the churches because the church is in need. The church has always been in need of a voice to come along and say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God has to say. And and so John, he's doing that again. He's written one letter. I I didn't look it up. I could have, but I could have looked up and found out what the, how many years between the letters that he wrote, but I didn't look it up. You can do that. Uh, But he's written this second letter. So I'm going to read the first three verses. Listen, there's only one chapter, too. Some of you should be going like, wow, we're going to really cruise through this one. Yep, you betcha. So hang on. Here we go. Here's the first three verses. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, peace be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Now, in John's first letter, he didn't give a formal salutation or greeting. He just kind of jumped into the, the issues at hand. He informed the church of the things that were going on that they needed to deal with. He was kind of like, you know what, I don't have time for this formal stuff because there's a lot on my mind that I need to get off and get it out into your hands so that you can know about it. But here at the second letter that he writes, he starts off a little bit more of a formal greeting, but yet it's still kind of different and unusual in the way that he starts off the second letter because he starts off by calling himself the elder. Different than Paul. Paul addresses himself as the apostle of Jesus Christ. He calls himself an elder, which is true. He was. But the the funny thing is it's the church that he writes to. He calls the church that he's writing to the elect lady and her children. The elect lady and her children. He's the only of the New Testament writers that ever refers to the church as the elect lady or and her children. He's the only one that does that, but we know he's writing to the church 
and, and not to an individual because of the way that he gets into and starts talking about the issues at hand. And so he's not writing to a specific person. But notice John's expression of love to his fellow Christ followers. He says he loves them in truth. Um, and, and what does he mean when he says he loves them in truth? Because there's a couple of different things that he could be talking about. Does it mean that he genuinely loves these people truthfully? You know, sometimes you go up to a guy and you go, dude, I love you. And it's not really that you love the dude. It's just kind of like you say it, but you don't really love him. You're just kind of like, yeah. So is he being truthful and genuine in his expression of love to them? Or is John now referring to the gospel, the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is the good news about Jesus. I would contend that he is probably doing both and. Is that he's, he's got this genuine affection for the church because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And so he's not leaving anything to chance. He's going to come and he's going to talk to them about the good news of Jesus. John also includes all believers when he says, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. They not only know the truth, but they believe the truth. And remember what Jesus said in, in his, his gospel uh, recorded by John. John wrote differently than all the other New Testament writers. And in, in John's gospel, Jesus made this declaration about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and then he adds on to that, no one comes to the Father except through me. You can only get to God the Father through life, through the truth, and through the way. Jesus. That's the only way you get there. Any other, any other path that you try to, to take to get to know God, if you go out and hug a tree, you're just going to get splinters. <laughs> That's all you'll get. You won't, you won't have this relationship with God. And so... To to love someone in the truth is to love them in Jesus. That's what he means. That's the highest ability which we can love anybody because it's through the love of Christ that we have that's been empowered and imparted to us through the Holy Spirit when we come into faith with Christ that then allows us to love our enemies. There isn't another religion on the face of the planet that says that you're to love your enemy. Matter of fact, a lot of them tell you to kill your enemy, the infidel. This is the, Jesus is the only one that says, I am going to love you so deeply, I am going to give you a love that you will be able to express to others, not only the people that you like, but you're going to be able to love your enemies. And everybody's mind is going, because they're going like, you mean I'm going to, because just think about it. Jewish people, they never hung around with with Gentiles. Why didn't they hang around with Gentiles? Because we're filthy. We're unclean. We're not holy. We're unrighteous. We eat bacon for Pete's sakes. That's not kosher. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you the ability to love people that you normally would hate. And so, 
we, we take a look at what Christ is offering to us, the way, the truth, and the life, and come to the Father, because through that, op- that expression of love, we can take advantage of Jesus' nature. It helps us. It helps us to love. When we love the way Jesus calls us to love, we can love the people who take advantage of us. We can love the people who ignore us. We can love the people who disappoint us. We can love the people who walk all over us and use us as a doormat. We can love all people. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. That's what it means to do that. The essential content of being a Christ follower is conveyed in the very notion of truth. Here's the thing that John goes on to talk about. He tells us that truth abides in us and will be with us forever. It will be with us forever. So there's only two things I know that are going to last through eternity. The Word of God and the souls of men. The Word of God is truth. That's why it will be with us forever. Now, I think John is expressing that the truth is found in Jesus and it abides in us because all of us who are in Christ are filled with the Spirit of God and when the Spirit of God is present, there's never any doubt about our destination. We're also equipped by the Holy Spirit to discern the truth from error. If you ever walk or meet people who are buying into a a cultic relationship. How many of you have seen that, that um, gal that was a TV actor, actress who got arrested because she was participating in a sex cult, uh, getting young women to come and be slaves? I mean, it's the most bizarre thing you'd ever imagine in your life. And I saw the picture of this gal, and I thought, she doesn't look cultic to me. But you know what the problem is? She didn't have the Spirit of God. She could not discern the error from the truth. And so what she bought into, she thought was the truth because the Spirit of God wasn't there going like, no, that's not it. And when the Spirit of God tells you no, that something's not true, I mean, He really lets you know it. You get this this angst within inside of you. You're going like, oh. He stirs you up to an unsettledness. And so the truth dwells in the faithful Christ follower. It shows itself through his or her deeds, through their thoughts, through the words. If Jesus reigns on the throne of our hearts, then the truth becomes the law by which we live our lives. Everybody lives their life according to some law. It's kind of like you either make up your own law that you're going to live it by, or you're going to find a, a list of rules that you want to have guiding your life, or as you step into relationship, all of a sudden your ear is perked up, your eyes are seeing things, and it's not that it is something that is, becomes an obligation, it becomes a joy to step into because you know that as you walk where Christ is calling you to walk, it, it becomes not a burden, but absolute Freedom. You walk in freedom. You never walk in the burden when you follow what Christ tells you to do. So here's the bad news for everybody that is an enemy of the truth. And when I say the truth, I mean God's word. Here's the bad news for those people. The people who mock 
God's Word, the people who desire to make it disappear. I mean, they've tried to take it out of the school, and they thought by taking it out of the schools 50-plus years ago that it was going to eliminate God from our society. And God's laughing about the whole thing because it's unbelievably naive of someone to think that way. And so here's the bad news for those people. The truth will never leave us. (laughs) They're in for a rude awakening. One day they're going to wake up and they're going to go, oh, no. The truth was true. I'm in deep kimchi. And usually at that time, it's probably too late. It's because they've left this planet and they've opened their eyes and they're looking at Jesus, the risen Savior, and they're going like... I don't think they'll cuss because I don't think they'll have the words to, but the Bible says that they will bow down and worship him, even if they don't believe in him, because he is God. John continues on in this introduction by invoking the great faith triad of grace, mercy, and peace. That's different. um, If you ever think about or if you've ever read any kind of uh, Roman literature from the first century, they always will say something to you like grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. May, May you know grace and peace. The only ones that write grace, mercy, and peace are New Testament writers. Because God does something totally different with us when we step into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Let me explain what grace is. Grace describes all that God has done for us in Christ that we don't deserve. In other words, the things that God has done for us in Christ is is he has, first of all, he has forgiven our sins. The weight of our sins falls off of our backs when we step into relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've ever ever met someone who has just come to faith in Christ, the thing that they say is that they couldn't believe how all the worries and the fears and everything of this world seemed to just fall off of them and they felt a new freedom and they were walking as though they were 50 pounds lighter. Because that's what, that's what grace does in, through forgiveness. It gives us that sense of wholeness, of freedom. The other thing that we get from grace is we get the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I already said this earlier, that the Spirit of God helps us to discern. The Spirit of God teaches us, helps us to understand. The Spirit of God convicts us of our sin. So with the old person, before we come to faith in Christ, we can sin, you know, there's kind of like three levels. And I think I've said this before. There's the sin that we commit that isn't really a big deal because it's not, we don't count it as a big deal. So it doesn't really ever bother us. And then there's the sin that's kind of a bit of a big deal. And we know that we've done something wrong. But if we think hard and long enough, not about the sin, but what we desire more, then we're not going to let that bother us. But then there are the big sins that are going to bother us. You know, like if you accidentally pulled your handgun out and shot your mother-in-law in in the face. That should bother you at some level. Okay? So those are the kind of the big things. And and what what happens, though, with us is, is that that when we are walking in our flesh, that's what God calls the old man before we come to faith in Christ, those, a lot of those sins just really don't bother us. Our conscious, conscience flashes a little bit, but it's not a big screaming thing. 
But when you are in faith with Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit that presides in your life. Then when you just make a little bit of a sin mistake, all of a sudden it's like God's going like, hey! And you're like, oh no. And you know what you do after that? You confess that sin. It's, it, because that sin is forgiven. That's, the blood of Jesus has covered that sin. It's taken care of. But the reason you confess it is because that is going to become a hindrance in your relationship with God. Confess your sin. So th- those are the things that we get that we don't deserve. We, get to, we, we don't have to suffer from guilt anymore. Shame has been removed from us. We don't live under shame anymore. That's what grace does for us. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is God not giving us all that we do deserve. Let me say it again. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Let me, let me just make this really clear to you, what we do deserve. Because God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a bright, flaming, hot light that if God, the very presence of God the Father showed up in this room, we would all fall dead. Because we can't be in the presence of a holy God because we're not holy. And that's what Jesus did. And so in God's mercy, because Christ went to the cross and he died on the cross for us, in God's mercy, he does not pour his wrath and his judgment out upon us. We have what we call um, common grace or mercy from God in that we can just go through life and, and when we curse, when we sin, when we do whatever we do, God is merciful to us and he doesn't vaporize us every time that we sin. That's God's mercy to us. What we deserve is we deserve to be vaporized. We deserve to be completely removed from the universe. Every aspect of us, not even to have our soul remain. That's really what we deserve. Because even at our best, the Bible tells us, when we are operating at our best, when we are functioning, when we think we're really hitting it on all cylinders, our good works before God are like filthy rags. I'm not talking about the kind you clean up a coffee spill with. I'm talking about the kind of rags that when you're done cleaning up whatever mess you just made, you take them and you throw them out in the burn barrel and then you burn them. That's filthy rags before God. That's, that's what our good deeds look like before a holy God. And in his mercy, he's going like, give me your filthy rags because I'm going to wash them and I'm going to make them as pure as snow. The next thing that God does for us, according here to John in this salutation, in the introduction, is that we get to know the peace of God. And and the peace of God is the resulting state we have with God and with others that results from the application of God's grace and his mercy into our lives. You cannot know the peace of God if you have never experienced the grace of God and the mercy of God. You cannot get to know the peace of God until you have experienced God's grace and God's mercy. It's the thing that, that helps us 
in our walk with God. One of the big indicators that, that God will give to us when we are walking as God wants us to walk, and what I mean by walking is living our lives in conjunction with the way God's calling us to live, is particularly when we're starting to ask God and we start to understand this relationship, it's a relationship. And in a relationship, you have this conversation that's going on back and forth. And if in that conversation, you say something to God, here's an opportunity that lies before me, God. I need to know whether this is, go- is where you want me to go or is not a place where you want me to go. And so what we do is we say, if this is not where I should go, take your peace away from me so that I know beyond a shadow of doubt I should never step into that place. And all of a sudden we're, we're moving further into whatever it is where we're going and we continue to experience the peace of God. And all of a sudden we're going like God has indicated to me that I should continue down this path because I know God's peace. It's a great tool God's given to the, to the family. Let me continue on in um, those first three verses because after grace, mercy, and peace, it says, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So John firmly indicates and locates Jesus in the Godhead as the Son of God. Now, there are a lot of people that, that have a question about is Jesus really fully God? Yeah, he's fully God. And, and John does a beautiful job here because he, said, he talks about the peace that, that will be with us, grace, mercy, and peace from the Father and from Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop there. The Father's Son. That, that's, that's big stuff for us because what we get is, is that when you, put the, you take the word Jesus, the name Jesus and the name Christ, and you put them together, what you're doing is you're talking about the hypostatic union of Jesus, of Christ. You guys are all going like, yeah, sure. Whatever that means, Ken. The hypostatic union... Of Christ means that we have God, Jesus, the Christ, fully Christ together. 100% man, 100% God combined together in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is his human name and Christ is his title. The Messiah, the anointed one. So when you talk about Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus God. Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One. It's not like his first name and his middle name. Mary and Joseph didn't go like, hey, he, the angel told us to give him the name Jesus, but he never said what his middle name should be. Let's just call him Christ. No. That's his title, who he is, like God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, the Messiah. So that's, that's important for us to understand because as we move into this, and we understand the, the blessings of faith, grace, mercy, and peace, they've come to us in truth and love. Now, truth is the attribute of God's character expressed in his word and his gospel. In other words, God's truth is revealed to us 
in the Bible. That's why it's important to read the Bible, because you won't know the truth until you start to read it and understand it and, and get motivated by it. And then love is the divine motivation for all God does for all of those who are his children. And John's referring to true belief in Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, and the spirit of genuine love that belief generates. This is where God reveals to us what he wants us to do. John doesn't identify these things as an idea that would be comforting to us only, but that we get to know and understand the truth of Jesus and the expressed love of God through Jesus, then we, as followers of Jesus Christ, will live in the very realm of truth and love. Until we really know Jesus, we will only be living in a quasi-state, a shadowy state of love and truth. We won't know it completely. That's why Jesus has told us in the recorded Gospels that God loves us. You remember that? What's the most, what's the second most famous verse on the earth? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You're going like, well, what's the most famous verse in the world? It switched. John 3, 16 used to be the most famous verse in the world. But a lot of people who don't have the spirit of God in them confirming to them what the Word of God says, they've, they've taken up a new verse that has become more popular for people to say than John 3.16. Judge not lest you be judged. Right? How many times has somebody thrown that dirt in your face? They don't even have the whole thing down right. That's a different message I won't bring up today. So if you want to know what the truth is, keep coming back to church on that whole judge not thing. Keep coming back to church because eventually in the next six years, I'll get to it. (laughs) Here's here's what we, we need to understand about this whole thing, about God's love for us. The truth of the love is expressed in what God has done for us. God's love is expressed in what he has done for us. God told us that there was going to be a price that had to be paid in order for our sin to be removed out of our lives. There's a price that has to be paid. Now here's the bad news about the price that has to be paid. There isn't a single person that can come up and pay the price of their debt. The payment for their debt is so far out of reach for all of us, that no one, absolutely no one, can make the payment and receive the certificate that God says, your debt has been paid in full. None of us. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care what good works you have done. I don't care how much you have given to poor people. Your good works are not going to pay the price for you to get the certificate that says debt paid in full. That's the bad news. You don't get the certificate. But the expression of God's love came in the deed of Jesus Christ going to the cross and making the most expensive payment possible. He gave his life 
a holy God, a sinless God, a sinless man who never sinned, never had a word on his mouth, never had a doubt in his life, did nothing but the glory of God through everything he did. He was absolutely sinless and spotless in absolutely everything. The most perfect human being, the most perfect human being and God, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and he paid with his life that price. And the only reason why Jesus' death paid the, the payment of our sin is because he was perfect and because he was whole and because he, he shed his blood and it was his perfect blood that eradicated sin out of our lives. John says it this way. It's God's grace. That's Jesus made our payment for us on our debt. And it's God's mercy, which means that God received Jesus' payment for our debt for us on our behalf. And then the peace that John refers to can only be experienced because you have received God's grace and mercy. That's the truth. Let's move on to verses 4 through 6. Some of you are going like, isn't it time to go home yet? (laughs) No, we have another hour. Relax. (laughs) I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, But the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. John, here's the great thing. John is expressing joy over the fact that some of these believers from this church, he's encountered as they have journeyed. By this time, John's not spry enough to travel. And so people from other churches have come to him and they have encountered him. They have spent time with him. And out of that whole thing, John's going like, you know, the people that came from your church, some of those people that came here, they brought complete joy to my heart because they're walking in the truth. Far too many church people or people who make claims that they know God, they don't have a life actually that reflects the glory of God. They give lip service to it. They know the language of the church. They know all the right things to say. They have a small understanding of who Jesus is, and yet they think that because they have that, now they're good. But John says, no, you spend time with them. Your heart will be filled with joy because of these people and what they bring to your life. Now, last, a week ago, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I went to Casper because we had meetings. So I went on Sunday night because I had some extra meetings earlier on Monday. And so I went to Casper last Sunday, or two weeks ago. And, you know, you know what? When you're by yourself and you don't have your wife or all your children are going to eat your pockets empty. Thank you, Jesus. But you, you don't have someone to share a meal with. 
you know, I went to the OG, the Olive Garden, uh, just because we don't have one here. And so I went to the Olive Garden, and I walked in, and you can do one of the things, you can get one of those little beeper things, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here ever been to the Olive Garden? Put your hand up. Oh, we have some sophisticated folks here. <laughs> they give you this little buzzer thing, and, and you put it in your back pocket, and then it lights your hind end up, you know, <laughs> something like that. I decided to forego that because I was a little bit hungry. And so um, I know this about the OG. If you go and sit at the bar, you get served right away. So I went and sat at the bar, and they had a basketball game. And so I'm sitting there eating my uh, chicken Alfredo. Mmm, delish. And um, I, I did skip the bread because, you know, I was having pasta, just, just so you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> while I'm sitting at the bar, four other people come in, two gals and two guys. And it's obvious that they're not married, but they're there as a group of people. And, they, and they've got the buzzer thing. And they didn't, well, I don't know why they didn't stick it in their, they had it on the counter. Wow, I never thought of that. Um, so they sat at the, next to me. And, and so the, there's one guy next to me, another guy, then the two girls. And so I said hello to all of them. They very kind, very nice. They responded back to me. And the guy sitting next to me, he started to, you know, when I said hello to him, I immediately recognized he wasn't from Wyoming. His skin was really dark. And I'd like to say he was an African-American, but I think he was African-British because he had a British accent. And so I looked at him and I go, you're not from around here, are you? And he goes, what gave it away? (laughs) And so we ended up in this conversation and he says to me, he says, are you from Casper? And I said, oh, heavens no. (laughs) No. I realized that that was the first time I've been to Casper in five years. Evs. Wow. Anyway, so we're having this conversation, and so I kind of asked, I said, so what do you do? And so he and his colleagues, they are in um, real estate up in Sheridan. They're from, actually from Sheridan. And I, how'd, how'd you get from England to, he goes, that's another story, another time. And I said, okay. Like, we're ever going to meet again? Anyway, so we're sitting there having this conversation, and then he looks at me, and he says, well, why are you in Casper, and what do you do for a living? And I said to him, if I tell you what my occupation is, it will kill our conversation, and I will be eating alone. Because that's what happens when you tell people you're a pastor. They go, ooh. So I said, you're going to have to guess what I do. And he's going like, okay. And so he gets his friends involved. And so they're, you know, they're asking me questions like, do you, do you, do you, are you an educator? And I go, well, kind of, yeah, kind of an education thing. I do educate people. Are, are you in finances? Well, I have to deal with finances. Yep, that's true. But no, I'm not in finance. Are you in the medical field? No, I'm not. And so all these questions, and we're having conversation throughout the whole thing. Finally, their buzzer goes off, and they're only moving over to a booth just down the way. But anyway, before he leaves, he says, finally, he goes like, okay, I'm not going to guess this. He says, I- I'm baffled. He goes, what do you do for a living? He's going to leave. He's going to go sit with his friends. So I think, there's no harm in telling him, I'm a pastor. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he went, I knew there was something about you as soon as you said hi. Hi. <laughs> 
He says, I'm the worship leader in our church in Sheridan. And I went, well, of course you are. You're African. My point is this, is that when the spirit of Jesus resides in you and the spirit resides in someone else and they are walking as Jesus calls you to walk, there's this immediate connection because the spirit of God connects people who are of faith together. It's the most amazing thing. And we had a great time talking about it. And so that's the joy that John's speaking about. When you have a divine meeting with another Christ follower, there's this connection from the Holy Spirit and it fills our hearts with joy. And John had that same similar experience with the people that came in and visited him from this church. His heart was filled with joy because all of a sudden he's going like, what's going on at this church is producing these people who absolutely are all in for Jesus. All in. They're sold out. But this passage always has the inference that John met some other people because he talks about some who he met from the church who were following Christ as they should. But then there's some who are not following the commands of Jesus, who were not remaining faithful to the commandments and teachings of God. And there are always something about their life that just doesn't add up. They say this with their mouth and you look at their life and you're going, it doesn't add up. The two don't make sense. I don't know how they come together and say that. So when a person's all in, when the, in, in, in whatever they're doing, we would say that they're sold out. Somebody who's all into something, we go like, man, that guy is really sold out to whatever we're doing. A couple of years ago, like five maybe, maybe around that, maybe a little bit more, a friend of mine, really got into golf. I, he borrowed my clubs, went out and played a little bit, and he came back. And next thing I know, he's buying golf clubs. And there, he's not just going down you know, to the local sporting goods store to buy some clubs. He's, he's going to where he has to kind of get measured, and they set up the clubs for his height, because he's like six foot five. And so you know, my clubs would be like junior clubs. He'd be over here going like, you know. So he has get real clubs, man clubs, not boy clubs, and, and, and he bought them, and, and he, he spent some money on the clubs because he's like, I'm going to be serious about this. Then he, he bought golf shoes, mm-hmm. and he bought golf gloves, and, and if, if that was all that he did, we'd go like, he has a mild interest in golfing, but no, this guy goes out and buys hundreds of range balls. Do you know what a range ball is? That's the ball when you're just practicing to hit so that you get a swing down. It's not a good golf ball. A range ball, if you lose it, you don't care. They're usually bright yellow and, and a stripe on them. And so he buys hundreds of range balls, and then he buys a mat, probably about as big as this carpet right here, that's kind of grassy, and that you can hit the balls off of. And then he spends hours out on that mat shooting balls off his front deck out into the wilderness. Hundreds of balls. And then he says to his boys, hey, go find the balls. And they run out, and they pick up the balls with buckets, and they bring them back, and he does the thing over and over and over again. Not only that, but then he buys a membership. So you know the conclusion you have, a guy who goes and buys 
really nice golf clubs, and he buys nice golf shoes, golf joy shoes, you know, your feet are happy, um, and a glove, and golf balls, and everything else. You say that he's sold out, that he's really into what he, he, he's all in. He's all in. That is exactly what it means. That's the kind of attitude that a person needs to have if they're going to commit themselves to being in relationship with Jesus. You've got to either be all in or you're going to be a poser. Sometimes I think there are people, it's just kind of like a a passing fad. You know, they want golf clubs, so on Saturday morning they get up early and go around to all of the yard and garage sales. And they find these old ram clubs that have had the life beat out of them already. And they think because they bought them for five bucks, it was a really good deal. They're not really that interested in golf. Matter of fact, there was this guy one time. Can I take a rabbit trail? No, go ahead and say no. See what happens. <laughs> my brother, this is back before I was married. So my, my younger brother and my brother just older than I were golf. My brothers embarrassed me. Because they're not really golfers. They're ball finders. They go on the golf course to find balls. They carry their golf clubs in an old army duffel bag. Those big green things, you know? They're walking down, clanking their clubs like, and then I'm just like, oh, Lord have mercy. These guys are so embarrassing. <laughs> so we're playing this course uh, at my, in my mom and dad's town. And this one hole, you, you tee off, and it's probably like 15 feet of a buildup down onto the fairway. At the end of the fairway, there's two ponds with a little path between them. And there's a guy ahead of us. And so we're like, sometimes we can hit the ball almost right up to the pond, so we're not going to take a chance. And so we're watching this guy. And so all of a sudden, we're standing there watching him, and he hits like seven balls into the water. Now he's cursing loud enough for us to hear it all. And the next thing just blows our mind. He grabs his golf bag up over his head, and he throws it into the pond. (laughs) And we're like... Huh. So we hit our balls down there, and my brother goes like, should I go get it? And I said, yeah. And so he sits down, and he's taking his shoes and his socks off. He's actually going to strip down to his whitey tidies to go in and get it. And all of a sudden, the guy comes storming back up around the corner, and we're sitting there going like, oh. You know, he's just messing with his shoes. And the guy, he's just mad, and he walks into the pond, and he grabs his golf bag, and he undoes the zipper and pulls out his car keys and throws the bag back in, (laughs) and he walks off. (laughs) Now, how do you tie that to walking with Jesus? Hey, if you're all in, you're not going to throw it all away. You are there for life, even, you know, and so this this is... I don't know how I'm going to get around this now. Anyway... (laughs) Here's the thing, Um, if you are really following Jesus, you're not going to go out and just get some cheap clubs at a yard sale. You're not going to go off the irrigation ditch looking for bad balls. You're going to be all in. 
John keeps hitting on the same thing and bringing to the attention of the church the importance of doing what Jesus says. It's, the, it's kind of a thought-provoking thing to think about this relationship that we have with Jesus. It's very much like all of our earthly relationships. I want you to think about this. Walk with me through this. We have all kinds of relationships. We have the husband-wife relationship. The Bible tells us that that is the Jesus-church relationship. We have the parent child relationship. God calls us his children. So it's God the father and us, his children relationship with like the parent child relationship. Then we have our, our, our friends and our family relationships, face to face and family. That's the church relationship. People we've never met before. People, I mean, I have friends in this church. I, you know, I know most of you, I would count most of you, except Jamie, uh, to be my friends. But it's on different levels of, of being a friend. I, if, if it wasn't for the church, probably 90% of you would not be my friend because we don't have the connection of church. And that's what the church does. That's what God does. That's what the Spirit of God does. And so we have all these relationships that are connected together. Now, all these relationships, they all hinge on a couple of things. Honesty is probably right at the top of the list. You're not going to be a friend with someone who continues to lie to your face. You're going to go like, this friendship's worth more than that. And if you're going to continue to lie to me, then, that, then we're done. The other one is, it can't be a one-way street. You don't just keep putting into a relationship and putting into it and putting into it and putting into it and getting nothing out of it. And then the third thing is, is someone said to you, you know what? Yeah, you know I'm going, you ask them for a favor. You say, would you do this for me? And they say, yes, I will do that for you. And then weeks go by and months go by. And you come back to them and go, I thought you said you were going to do this. Oh, I am. I am. I really meant to. I got really busy. I had stuff going on, but I'm going to do it. You just wait. I'm going to do it. And they never do it. Does that person love you? According to the Bible. No. Jesus said in a couple of places, different places in John's gospel, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let me give a, a clarification to that. When you obey my, my commandments in John chapter 15, when you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. In other words, what Jesus is saying, I've been obedient to everything my father has ever asked me to do. I have never let him down. I have never dropped the ball. I have never said yes and really meant no. I have always done what God has asked me to do. I've been completely obedient to it. And so when we have relationships with other people, whether it's, it's a, a spouse-husband relationship, whether it's a parent-child relationship or a friendship. If you say you're going to do something, you better follow through on it and do it because if you don't do it, the message you're giving is I don't love you. In Matthew, Jesus said this, just a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Anything other than this is from the evil one. Satan's a deceiver, and he's the father of lies. 
And so when we say yes to somebody and we know full and well we're not going to do it, we have just stepped in and now we are doing what Satan does. He lies. We've just lied to them. People would rather have you say, no, I can't do that. Because then they know up front where it is, where everything's at. But when you say yes, and it's something that you, you say you're going to do, but you don't do what you say you're going to do, the message you have just sent is, I don't care enough about you to do what I asked you to do. Now, some of you are probably saying, well, you know what? <laughs> They're not God, so I don't, I'm not going to obey, obey anybody but, G, but Jesus. I'm not their disciple, and they're not Jesus, and so forget it. I'm not going to obey them. You know what? Here's the bottom line on that. The truth, the, really the truth is, is, is that when you can't obey your mom and dad, when you can't, and I'm going to use this word obey in a marriage relationship because the Bible talks about that. It's mutual obedience to one another in a marriage relationship. If you can't obey or do the things that your spouse has asked you to do, if you can't do what you say you're going to do with your friends, you will never obey what Jesus asks you to do. If you can't do it with somebody earthly, you'll never do it with the the divine figure of Jesus Christ. And so if you want, matter of fact, You know, it's this whole love thing. If we love someone, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And then John, Jesus said this in John chapter 13. He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And love flows out of obedience. This command by Jesus to love is more than just a mere feeling. It's an act of the will. And then because we come to love is the commandment. It is an active proposition entailing that we must do something. We must do something, namely obey the commands if we're going to love Jesus. If we're going to love our fellow Christ followers, if we're going to love our children, if we're going to love our spouses, we have to learn what it means to obey. Here's the problem though. Is if, we don't really do what we say we're going to do. And if we're not going to walk in the truth, then we're no longer going to make an impact in people's lives. Matter of fact, we start to live the way the rest of the world lives. We see something that we don't necessarily have full information on, so we make an assumption about what we're looking at right here. And because we haven't asked any questions for clarification, now we're, we're stepping into an assumption about somebody else. And then we say to somebody else, by the way, guess what I saw so-and-so doing? And now you've gone from making an assumption about something that you don't have full information on, you have just gossiped about that person. And so what what happens when we truly love God and we obey His commands, what we are going to do then is when we see something that doesn't make sense to us and we don't have clarity of the whole picture, now we go and we ask the individual, we say, hey, listen, I'm a little bit confused. Can you help me to understand if this is what I saw? What's really going on? And then they bring 
clarity and information to you. And you're going like, oh, so what I saw here was just a snapshot of a much larger picture. And now I see fully what's going on and it makes more sense to me. And then what you get to do is you get to come alongside of the person and give them godly biblical assistance in life. But if you don't do that, then the only thing you're going to do is you're going to end up walking as the world does and you're going to bring criticism about them to other people. At best, at worst, you're going to gossip and slander them. Correct belief and correct behavior should always go together. The biblical teaching is that right behavior should always follow right belief. Only when we know what we believe and why we believe it will we be in a position to behave it. Paul said this when he wrote his letter to the Ephesians church. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So it's walking in a manner worthy of the calling. In Philippians, he says that we are citizens of heaven, so we should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. So when you go back to 1 John, and John says, walk in the truth, he means keep God's commandments. Notice something else. Even though it's been many years since Jesus ascended back into heaven, and the gospel has been proclaimed Ever since the day of Pentecost, the commandments were the same as when the twelve stood up and made their first declaration that Jesus Christ is the good news. Just as you have heard from the beginning, John says, it is forever and it is foolish and prideful to tamper with the truth by seeking to alter the commands of God to fit our cultures, our fads, and our opinions. Jesus is real. His word is truth. And truth is is objective. It's not what I wish were true or feel is true that determines what is true. It has already been determined. Today, many like to say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, believe me, the pathway to hell is covered with sincerity, but not truth. John says, and this is love, that we walk According to his commandments, the real test of faith and love comes in the application. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. So don't make loving promises with your tongue that don't come true in reality. If you say you're going to come and help, then come and help. The promise is encouraging, therefore loving. But all the encouragement dies when you don't show up. Here's the end. Tell the truth. Love in truth. Tell the truth. Love in truth. Amen? Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to speak the truth, to love in truth, to walk in the truth. Forgive us when we have failed to love as Jesus has called us to love when we have said yes and we meant no, when we have promised and broken the promise, when we have let our words speak lies rather than our our actions speaking the truth. And so we ask you today, God, that you would continue to work in each of our hearts, continue to grow us so that we desire, God, 
to, to know you, to walk with you, to, to live in truth every day of our life. And so we, we want to commit ourselves to you this morning, ask for your, your forgiveness and for your blessing. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. As we so often do, if you need to talk with God, if you need to pray, if you want someone to pray with you, just come to the front. Somebody will come, and if you want help, they'll help you. If you just want to spend time, you'll just be left to spend time.